Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Roadie on the Horn podcast. Today is Wednesday, November 15th at time of recording. We've got a great podcast in store for you guys today, recapping the last week of sports. We'll go over what we saw in the NFL, in college football, and then we'll get into our questions to wrap up our show from you guys, the listeners at home, as we always do on every episode of Roadie on the Horn. But to get us started, to get us going here, let me introduce my great friend, my awesome co-host, Donnie. Donnie, what's going on, man? You know, just living the dream, obviously. Uh, last year, when we had these football-only or mostly football podcasts, um, it was okay because the Giants were playing well. Miami was semi-competitive. Things felt good. But, RK, let me tell you, I've begun to dread uh, the, the intro to these podcasts, knowing what comes next when it comes talking about uh, Giants football. And, I mean, a lesser extent, Eagles football, because I'm happy that you're happy with the Eagles. They, they win games. But let me tell you, RK, this one's gonna it's going to be a tough couple minutes for me here uh, moving forward. Yeah, let's just get it out of the way here, Donnie. Let's talk about the New York Giants. They came up short, to put it lightly, against the Dallas Cowboys. Kind of a familiar fate. The Giants getting blown out against a division rival uh, at this point in time. Uh, Giants 2-8 and eight this year. Not what we expected out of their group this year. But we also didn't expect Tommy DeVito to be the quarterback for the New York Giants at any point in history, let alone for a couple of weeks now. So uh, not a pretty sight for the Giants. Uh, the Cowboys even kind of shut down Saquon Barkley in this game, only 66-yard rushing. So not much the Giants could muster up uh, in, uh, in stopping the Dallas Cowboys was actually a pretty solid game for uh, Dak Prescott. Another big game for CeeDee Lamb, who has been absolutely killing it this year on the side of the Cowboys. And Brandon Cooks even had uh, a, a bigger day in terms of his receiving yards um, for Dallas in this one. So has not been pretty for the Giants uh, at all, really, this season. Uh, and uh, and another blowout against a uh, NFC East opponent. Uh, pretty much looking towards the draft. We'll get into our, our draft thoughts and college football thoughts in a little bit, though, Donnie. But anything else you can take from the Giants in terms of what you're seeing out of this group this season yeah I don't know there's a couple points that I like I've considered talking about throughout the season that just like don't make any sense to talk about because there's not a whole lot of positive takeaway from a game where um, again another game where at halftime 28-0 RK you're down four touchdowns at halftime uh, with with Tommy DeVito who I think we're going to call a Daniel Jones light at this point which is really bad because Daniel Jones is like a light version of a good NFL quarterback in the first place uh, so that's a really bad sign when you have uh, like a mediocre version of Daniel Jones who can run the ball a little bit can't throw the ball um, not inspiring offense in the slightest uh, I was very surprised to see how bad the defense played this week, given the fact that I think even you would agree with me, RK, the, the Giants defense has been pretty good circumstantially this year. Like it's really hard to function when you don't have any offensive movement at all. Um, and when Saquon Barkley, again, as you mentioned, you know, 60 yards, the, the best game of any giant player this week was Saquon Barkley with 13, 13 rushes for 66, 66 yards. So if you're talking about a 66 yard performance as the best player on your team throughout the week, things were, were very clearly bad. And I think, we're at a point where I I would not have anticipated myself sitting here saying, okay, need the Panthers to, to win some games, need the Patriots to win some games, need the Cardinals to win some games. Like I didn't want to be in the position where I was thinking like, okay, number one pick. I think anybody that would have told you that the Giants were going to be in the, in the Caleb Williams race in contention for Caleb, or I guess uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., whatever direction they want to go with, with their pick this year, I, I, wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have told you we were going to be here. Um, it's 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 been a really really rough season this is like this is worse than a Dave Gettleman or or Ben McAdoo like those years it's it's feeling really really like it's just depressing watching Giants football 
Yeah, it hasn't been pretty. We're in week 10. We were expecting to be looking at the wild card race for the Giants at this point in time. And instead, we're pulling up Tankathon and seeing that the Giants currently would pick second overall if the <laughs> NFL draft got underway today. Uh, only the Carolina Panthers with one win, um, you know, with a higher draft pick. But they don't even have their own first round pick traded to Chicago for Bryce Young last year. So uh, the Bears, with even their own three and seven record, uh, currently looking at two top five picks at this moment. But yeah, Giants, Patriots, Cardinals hasn't been pretty for those teams they got two wins uh only this season so um they're already looking at the uh at the nfl draft for those teams but let's bounce around to some other action in the nfl from this week we saw a heck of a game between uh two afc teams the texans and the Bengals. uh you know coming into this year we did not really have high expectations for the houston texans they knew they had a new coach they had a rookie quarterback they had a you know subpar receiving core but i will say cj stroud has been absolutely killing it another 350 plus yard passing game for him in this game game uh had a passing touchdown even had a rushing touchdown in this game as well but um really spreading the ball around noah brown a massive game for houston in this one receiving uh dalton schultz the tight end has been very productive for them tank dell had over 50 yards receiving so the texans get a walk-off field goal on the road at cincinnati who you know we had been talking about it starting to really kind of pick up some steam seemed like they had beaten some quality opponents you know here's kind of the classic Bengals, you know second half push that um you know can kind of lead them to be one of the favorites in the afc and houston goes into Cincinnati and comes away with a win so uh, they look themselves at a five and four record and a potential playoff team themselves got to be one of the biggest surprises in the NFL this season when you look at the Texans yeah definitely I think the Texans have a little bit of like last year Giants in them where no expectations people thought okay brand new head coach we're going to come in here it's going to be a tough battle the first year probably um, it's going to be a real grind seeing where, where things go. Um, they have not really missed a beat. I will, I do want to mention, obviously, uh, CJ Stroud did this without Nico Collins, who is very clearly the Texans wide receiver one. At least if you ask uh, anybody with a pulse, they'll tell you Nico Collins is, is the guy that CJ Stroud wants to throw to. Um, we, Devin Singletary, 30, 30 carries, 150 yards of time. When has Devin Singletary ever done that in the NFL? So we're at a point where, like, things are really interesting out of the Houston Texans. And I mean, even on the other side, um, we saw a really interesting week out of Joe Burrow and gang, uh, some mistakes there, which have been uncharacteristic in the last couple of weeks. Obviously we talked about last week. Now they had won games against Seattle, San Francisco and Buffalo back to back to back with a bye week somewhere in there, uh, which is super impressive. Those are three either playoff teams or playoff competitors as we'll talk about the bills in a little bit here. Um, I'm, I'm stunned, dude. The Texans being this good has has totally thrown me off to a point where, like, I I the the D'Amico Ryan's hype and buying into CJ Stroud for as like an MVP candidate at this point, neither of those things are are illogical or not reasonable, which is crazy. Yeah, it's definitely been an interesting season uh, for Houston so far. You know, wins at Jacksonville against Pittsburgh, uh, you know, this one at Cincinnati. And then they have one of their losses was this year at Carolina, the only win that the Panthers have had all season. So, um, you know, they got another head-to-head game with Jacksonville coming up in two weeks. They got Arizona this week. You figure they should be able to get by there. You never know, but um, feeling good. And then probably a, a pivotal matchup with the Jaguars in Houston in two weeks. The only team they're trailing in the AFC South. And as mentioned, you know, they already have a head-to-head win over the 
Jags. So that'll be a huge, huge game for the Texans uh, in terms of trying to win that AFC South division, which is not a conversation we expected to have uh, once this season got started. So that is definitely an interesting one. Speaking of the Jacksonville Jaguars, though, it was not a fun weekend for them. They get absolutely smoked at home against the 49ers, a team who had been uh, losing three in a row, uh, which was kind of surprising. We mentioned they just lost to Cincinnati, but a big time win for the Niners on the road at Jacksonville, 34 to three, a blowout win for them. Big game again for Christian McCaffrey. Brock Purdy seemed to kind of right the ship a little bit here. No turnovers for him uh, in this game. And George Kittle um, was a massive factor, uh, you know, catching the ball, some really big uh, completions in this one, had a really long touchdown uh, in this game as well. So the Niners get back on track in a big way. Uh, pretty underwhelming game from the side of the Jaguars, really uh, underproductive for Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence, who had been really good so far this season. Um, but I was definitely surprised to see this game not even be a contest at all. You figured that Jacksonville would put up a bigger fight than they did against San Fran in this one. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I do think we saw the first real, like, dangerous pass rush every single, like, this is it. The San Francisco 49ers are, are him in that sense. Like, obviously, we're going out there, we're seeing Bosa perform, and then you throw Chase Young in the mix, obviously got um, s- some really good pressures this week. Um, we've talked about Javon Hargrave a couple times this season. Javon Hargrave had a fantastic game. It's really interesting to see just like Jacksonville, obviously they weren't ready to block for Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence wasn't ready for all the pressure that they received. And it was a really, really good game defensively for the 49ers. And again, you know, I'm, I'll give a little bit of credit to Brock Purdy. Obviously didn't get Christian McCaffrey in the end zone. So the 17 game touchdown scoring streak has no longer, uh, no longer thing. He needed one touchdown to break the all time record. Um, unfortunately couldn't get it. They tried to get it to him on third and fourth down late in the game. Uh, it was kind of funny to see them force feed the ball to McCaffrey with Debo out of the game and George Kittle out of the game and Brandon Ayuk out of the game. Like the last plays of the game they were throwing, um, they had like Ronnie Bell out there and Jawan Jennings. And all of a sudden Christian McCaffrey's running on the field in third down, trying to get in the end zone. Really funny, but man, like, the 49ers, a really big bounce back, obviously, but you still have to remember back of your head, you've got those games against Cleveland, the loss against Minnesota a couple weeks ago. It, I don't know what to think of the 49ers in the slightest at this point. Yeah, it. Uh, you said it, though, with the pass rush. I mean, that D-line is so loaded. Uh, and, you know, even outside of that, guys like Fred Warner in the middle of that defense, you know, they're they're going to be a tough out, uh, to say the least, even, uh, you know, after their skid, you know, the NFC not quite as deep. So um, that was definitely a big win for the Niners to kind of get back uh, on track uh, in that game. Uh, another big game in the AFC that we saw this weekend, a big matchup in the AFC North between Baltimore and Cleveland. This game started off, it looked like it was going to be a blowout. Baltimore was all over them early on. Uh, in this game, we've continued to see a really strong rushing attack out of the Ravens. We saw a pick six by Kyle Hamilton right away uh, in this game, but the Browns just kind of worked their way back in it. Uh, were able to kind of muster up enough offense to kind of come through, get a game-winning field goal at the end. But a big note and follow-up in this game, Deshaun Watson uh, going to be out for the season with a shoulder injury, uh, was injured during this game, stayed in the game, you know, led this come from behind win. Uh, and then now we find out uh, this week that he will be out for the rest of the season. So, Seems like it'll be Dorian Thompson Robinson the rest of the way uh, for the Browns this season, but um, definitely a tough blow after the Browns, you know, had kind of worked themselves in a competitive division back in a spot, a tough road win against the Ravens who had really been rolling uh, and now a, a big, uh, you know, blow uh, in terms of the rest of their season, uh, losing their quarterback to Sean Watson for the rest of the year. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And there was a viral post that went around of Josh Dobbs getting traded a couple months ago to Arizona from Cleveland. Uh, I'm sure that the Cleveland Browns would love to have Josh Dobbs at, at 
at quarterback for the rest of the season here rather than DTR, uh, albeit DTR was good in the preseason, had some fun moments, uh, could be really, really interesting there. But yeah, Cleveland 6-3 and three in a playoff spot, lose Deshaun Watson, like season's probably over. Like I, I think that it's fair to say the Browns having to battle with teams like Houston, uh, Cincinnati obviously right behind them, teams like Buffalo who are still in the race, uh, Indy, even the Chargers, the Jets, teams like that, like it's it's going to be impossible for Cleveland to hold on to the spot given the circumstances, right? Like you, you'd say it's pretty fair to call the season over. Yeah, it's definitely going to be uh, going to be tough for them uh, the rest of the way. They got the Steelers coming up, uh, one of their three losses already earlier this year. So, um, you know, that's uh, a team they're tied with right now in the AFC North. So, um, you know, six and three record, they're still in the hunt. But, you know, the AFC is so competitive. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to sustain and, and keep up their quality of play um, with that injury to Watson. We've seen Jerome Ford be good this year. You know, is he good enough to carry them into the playoffs? You know, I don't necessarily predict that happening, but uh, nevertheless, I, I didn't expect expect them to come back in this game on the road at Baltimore, a team I think is one of the best in the AFC uh, overall. So uh, impressive win for Cleveland, but a big loss there with Watson. Um, two other games for us to hit on close one possession games. We had a lot of those uh, over the weekend in the NFL, a barn burner shootout between the Detroit lions and the LA chargers ends up going the way of the Detroit lions. They get a walk-off winner themselves uh, on the road and LA in this one. So big win for the lions, another team that, you know, is kind of near the top of the NFC. Uh, but I want to focus on the Chargers. How is this team four and five? I think you look at the roster of the Chargers, they should be, you know, certainly in contention for a wild card spot. Obviously, it's tough to win that division when the Kansas City Chiefs are in it for the Chargers, but four and five, definitely they, they've had some misfortune uh, so far this season uh, in terms of some cl- close, tough losses. But um, I think this one certainly ranks among the top of their list uh, in terms of, you know, just unfortunate series of events um, for the Chargers who now dropped to four and five even a half game behind the Raiders uh, in the AFC West. Yeah, you bring up the fact that they've lost a bunch of close games. I saw a statistic where outside of the Chiefs loss they had a couple weeks ago, they've lost four games by a, a margin of 11 points total, RK. 11 points for four, four losses. So they're losing games by 2.75 points per game. Um, really, really tough. I mean, I guess a lot of that probably has to do with coaching. Um, we did see some really interesting decision-making. Um, you know, obviously... A late touchdown from the Chargers gave the ball back to Detroit with 3.30 left. I'm thinking they probably were hoping that wasn't the case. Um, They did score, but, you know, the Detroit Lions offense was ridiculous. Watching the run game, uh, Jared Goff obviously had a good game, but I don't think we can go by without talking about Jameer Gibbs, who has finally looks like he's like him. He's here. He's arrived after a couple weeks of really weird usage at the beginning of the year. Obviously, a really, really big game two weeks ago in Baltimore. A great game against the Raiders last week. And then a two touchdown performance against the Chargers. Like maybe the Lions are finally doing what they should have done with DeAndre Swift with Jameer Gibbs, giving him a full range of, of complimentary carries, I would say, because David Montgomery is still that guy. But the, the Lions playmakers are, are really something else. It's really special to see what they've built there. No doubt. And I think Jared Goff definitely deserves a little bit of credit too. Yeah, there's some good playmakers there, but he's distributing the ball to him. He's doing a good job. He didn't take any sacks, didn't have any picks in this game. So just kind of going about his business, getting the ball in the hands of Amon Ross St. Brown, Jameer Gibbs, like you said, David Montgomery had a really long touchdown run in this game himself. So, uh, you know, I think that the supporting cast has been good. I think it's a good roster, but I think Jared Goff, you know, a guy who obviously came up big time short in a Super Bowl, was traded uh, away from the Rams to the Lions, you know, some first round picks going back the 
other way. You know, it's kind of easy to slander Jared Goff, but especially when you look around the rest of the NFL at some of the starting quarterbacks that have kind of gone in, whether it be from injuries or, um, you know, Baker Mayfield is starting games, for example, in the NFL. Like Jared Goff, I, I think at some point uh, needs to earn a little bit of respect uh, in terms of how good he's been with the Lions. I think that's been an underrated factor uh, in some of their success. Now, seven and two for the Lions. That's, uh, you know, there was a lot of hype around them this year. I wasn't necessarily buying at all. And certainly I think there's some reservations in terms of this team actually being able to win the NFC. But um, this was definitely an impressive win, even though, like I said, the Chargers have struggled in winning some of these close games uh, for the Lions to come out on top. I thought that was definitely an impressive win and, and a noteworthy event um, that we saw on Sunday. But Let's wrap things up. The last game we saw in the NFL this week, I know you cringed very hard at the ending of the Broncos and Bills game, Donnie. It was an ugly one, uh, to say the least. The Bills, uh, speaking of teams that have not had, you know, the most fun of seasons, like we're talking about the Chargers, the Buffalo Bills, I mean, they rank near the top of that list too. They dropped a five and five, but the ending of this game was just as brutal as it can get. The Broncos, they're in a situation where they're trying to just get in position to kick a game-winning field goal. They trail by a point. It's only a 41-yard kick. They rushed the field goal team on the field, which they did already in this game at the end of the first half. And then all of a sudden, the kick is no good. The Bills win, but hold on. Too many men on the field, 12 guys on the field for the Buffalo Bills. Move them up five yards, a 36-yard field goal, three yards longer than an extra point, and the Broncos don't miss this one. They go into Buffalo, and they get a win. I mean, wow, that is a deflating loss for the Buffalo Bills in this one, thinking they'll be able to sneak it out. They get lucky in this field goal, 12 minutes on the field for the Bills cost them this entire game against, you know, a team that has certainly struggled uh, this season, albeit the last two wins they've had are against Kansas City and Buffalo now. But, uh, you know, to lose against Denver at home in a brutal finish, uh, what do you have to say about the Buffalo Bills finish in this game? Yeah, you know, obviously we're going to get to a, a question later from your father about uh, feeling ripped off as a, as a sporting sporting event attender. Let me tell you, if I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, I have just, uh, first off, three and a half hours down the drain, gone. Like, my, my day would have been absolutely ruined had I been a Bills fan. But I think that the most spectacular part of this is Buffalo called two timeouts um, on plays preceding this. We knew exactly what was happening. They were setting up for a field goal, the Broncos were. And the fact that they ran out 12 players on a field goal that ended up just being missed, too. Will Lutz was really, really close to hitting that field goal originally. Uh, it just skimmed off the right post, very, very close there uh, on the goal post. I, I don't think I've ever been more flabbergasted or stunned by something happening in a football game. Like, we talked about Miami fumbling against Georgia Tech and then losing the game. I think this is a more, like, pardon my French, this is like a more what-the-fuck moment. Uh, if anything, I've never seen such a like lackluster coaching performance ever, a coaching decision ever. That's the only thing you have to get right. Special teams, a head coach, everybody on there just has 11, 11 players on the field. That's all you need. Obviously, we can talk about the Bills shortcomings till the cows come home. Josh Allen with another very, very mediocre game. But they were in the position to win the game, seeing the field goal missed. The fact that that happened, and then Will Lutz, obviously, you knew the second Will Lutz came out to kick the second field goal. There's not a chance he's missing that RK. Like there, that's a guaranteed, a hundred percent. Put your bankroll, put your put your bank account on that field goal going in. Like there's not a chance he was missing a second time. Just just despicable, really, if you ask me. For the Buffalo Bills, and I I truly feel horrible for Bills fans out there who showed up. Very very cold game. Horrible horrible football performance from start to finish. A really really mediocre game to watch. What what a shit show. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, the Bills Mafia, they took off work on Monday. They spent the whole day jumping through tables, tailgating, <laughs> and then they sit through this game. They get lucky with a missed 41 yarder. That should not be a miss in the NFL with the game on the line. They get it and then they do it to themselves with too many men on the field. I mean, wow, that is a tough finish for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, in this one, you said it, Josh Allen, you know, a couple picks in this game. Uh, Stefan Diggs, a pretty quiet game, even though he's had a big season overall, only 34 yards receiving for him. So uh, just underperforming, underwhelming uh, the Buffalo Bills. You know, we certainly assume that they'll be able to kind of figure it out and get into the playoffs. They did have a big win over Miami earlier this year. That's something that may be able to help them in terms of that division race. But um, it's definitely a lot of, uh, of cringeworthy moments on the side of the Buffalo Bills in this one and Russell Wilson on the other side you know it didn't necessarily play the most spectacular but he did just enough to kind of figure it out uh for the Broncos in this game 24 of 29 passing under 200 yards but just kind of was dinking and dunking his way down the field doing just enough uh to kind of get through that tough Buffalo defense you know they had a couple of sacks in this game on him but um you know just kind of chunk plays small little yardage getting the job done uh and, and the Broncos were able to get it done did have a nice throw to Cortland Sutton on a touchdown in this game I wanted to mention that but uh yeah definitely feels like Buffalo lost this game more so than just about anything else uh, in a bizarre finish uh, and tough finish on the side of the Bills on that one. So uh, that's your NFL recap. We do have a big game coming up this upcoming week. The Eagles and the Chiefs coming up on Monday Night Football. That one should be a ton of fun. Both teams coming off buys. Andy Reid off a bye is dangerous. So the Eagles will definitely have their hands full in that one. But obviously Super Bowl rematch. That one will be a lot of fun to break down uh, next week. But with that, Donnie, let's move on to college football. It was another good week in college football, as it was in the NFL as well. So let's hit on our two teams first. Uh, just quickly hit on Iowa. They played Rutgers, who, you know, usually is pretty bad. I guess they've been okay this year, but they shut them out 22 nothing. Kind of a classic Iowa game in this one. The under hits again. They keep breaking records for uh, the lowest under, and, and the under has been a lock for Iowa this year. It's even a, mirac a miraculous feat that they got to 22 points, I feel like in this game but they shut down Rutgers in a uh in a game there in the Big Ten and Iowa you know finds themselves in a position where they certainly may be that team in the uh, Big Ten West uh that gets the honor of getting smoked by the Michigan Ohio State winner in Indianapolis for the Big Ten title game so uh yeah we just kind of know that that's gonna happen and it'll be an ugly one but uh that's going on with the Hawkeyes and then Florida State Miami it was kind of a marquee game we feel like we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks it was ended up just being a touchdown game but Florida state i feel like really kind of held the majority of the quality play in this one not necessarily too too surprising they've obviously had a really good year keon coleman had a massive punt return uh in this game for florida state and jordan travis continues to just kind of go about his business does his job had a touchdown passing in this game to keon coleman as well uh and the run game too trey benson has been really dynamic for florida state so uh not a surprise they stay undefeated at 10 and 0 find themselves right now as the number four seed in the college football playoff just ahead of washington so uh, they'll need to kind of finalize things and continue to win the ACC. But nevertheless, a big one for Florida State, one that was still left on their calendar. Um, you know, they do have a game still I get at Florida, but, um, you know, they haven't necessarily had the best of year uh, by their standards. So Florida State finds themselves in a very good position to be back in the college football playoff. You know, a couple of years ago, it seemed like this program was kind of falling apart, but this has been a big time comeback year um, for Florida State. A lot of dynamic players on that offense, and they were able to get a win against Miami in this one. What did you see out of that matchup? Uh, Florida State, Miami, Donnie. 
Yeah, you know, I definitely wouldn't suggest starting a, a brand new freshman quarterback against a Florida State team that has played some pretty good defense this year. And I mean, I think you can look at Miami's offense. You know, Emory Williams was eight of 23, uh, had 175 yards, a couple of big pass touchdowns to Jacoby George, who was the only offensive weapon outside of Don Chaney who decided to, to show up, I guess. Um, once it came to end of the game, Tyler Van Dyke comes in the game after Emory Williams gets absolutely destroyed. I'm pretty sure he broke his arm, something along those lines. Tyler Van Dyke once again comes in disappoints, which is really sad to see because we were starting off the year talking about him as like a really, really surprising, um, like a candidate to, to, you know, maybe, maybe turn some heads uh, mid late round draft pick. Now it looks like Tyler Van Dyke is probably more suited for like a transfer um, to another program next year, maybe finds himself. Uh, trying to revive his draft stock. Really, RK, let me tell you, the turnaround of this season from the first four weeks to the last six has just been, it, it's been so depressing and so sad to watch. Uh, losses against, obviously, Georgia Tech, NC State, North Carolina, like, those are teams that are not any better than what Miami is in, in all reality. It's just another mediocre ACC team. For them to compete with Florida State, it felt good. It was, it was a fun-ish game, uh, but the, the second half was really bad, and you knew, you know, Florida State goes in the fourth quarter of the lead. It's it's probably not. They're probably not losing it. They're probably not giving it up. Um, disappointing for sure. Uh, it is what it is, really. At this point, season's cooked for Miami. It's been cooked for a couple of weeks, and we're just we're just grinding along here. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, was was a tough game there. You mentioned some of the, you know, little spark plugs. Jacoby George, you mentioned he had a really good game in this one. Really just kind of an explosive player out there uh, for Miami. You know, potential that he could enter the NFL um, this year. You know, sometimes those undersized receivers, it's a little bit tougher. But some of his best games this year, I think that was his best game against Florida State. Also played really well against North Carolina, Texas A&M. So he's kind of showing out when uh, when the lights are brightest. That obviously bodes well um, for his potential jumping to the next level. So um, definitely caught my eye uh Jacoby George a couple of big time plays um you know explosive plays for him um when you know their passing attack really didn't have much else going for him uh, in this game against Florida State so um definitely good observations out of that one as mentioned Florida State continues to keep rolling uh, another top four teams to highlight uh for this podcast Michigan Wolverines had a big game themselves on the road at Penn State and they come out on top without Jim Harbaugh obviously a lot going on behind the scenes there with the sign stealing scandal and whatnot what's going to end up the fallout they ended up not having Jim Harbaugh on the sideline for this one but uh, Michigan was still able to get a big win in a tough environment on the road Blake Corum two touchdowns in this one uh, you know he's continues to prove he's one of the best players in college football um, you know not only this season but the last few uh, obviously had the injury last year but he's been really good so uh, Michigan continues to roll definitely was not the prettiest game passing in this game on either side neither team had more than a hundred passing yards uh, in this game. So kind of, you know, I wouldn't even say classic big 10. That's even more underwhelming big 10 for two teams ranked in the top 10, but uh, nevertheless, it is Michigan continues to keep rolling. And uh, we just kind of continue to keep waiting for the big game. They've got against Ohio state coming up, uh, you know, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, um, they've got Maryland before that, but uh, it will be at the big house this year, Michigan, Ohio state. That's one's definitely uh, an intriguing one to come up, but uh, any observations out of uh, what we saw this past, week between Penn State and Michigan yeah you know you never anticipate a Michigan team not running or not passing the ball in the second half at all I think they threw one pass and then there was another play that was a, there was a penalty on it like seven for eight for 60 yards for JJ McCarthy coming into the game is the fourth highest Heisman odds uh candidate Heisman candidate holy holy hell that was uh, just a really really weird hard game to watch um I guess it just Penn State's Penn State like you kind of know Penn State's there to lose the big games and Penn State, once again, RK, loses the big game 
every every season it feels like they come up in these, these situations where they they knock off the Iowas and the Northwesterns and the Indianas of the world and then they go up against the relevant schools and it's like, oh like right we're we're cooked again um it's really sad honestly Penn State when we were growing up when we were younger Penn State was that team Penn State was always there uh competitive you kind of knew they were going to be in the race till the end Penn State is no longer relevant like they, they're they're relevant ish they lose to the big teams they'll end up with three losses at the end of the year two three losses everything will be fine it's a little sad to me to see the program just hit, hit the shitter like this. Yeah, James Franklin, that's obviously kind of been, uh, you know, the the <laughs> mock of him is like, all right, yeah, like you said, you, you can win all these games, but you get two losses and they're to Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, you know, that's not good <laughs> enough to win you a Big Ten title when you're in the Big Ten East. So, um, you know, Penn State, you know, just a little bit short in this one. Uh, they tried everything they could, but come up short at home uh, for them in that one. So Michigan continues to roll uh, in that uh, front for the Big Ten. Two other games for us to hit on for college football that we saw over the weekend. A blowout between Georgia and Ole Miss. Not necessarily too, too surprising. Ole Miss, uh, kind of a similar situation to Penn State. You know, they can kind of win uh, these games in the SEC. But their losses this year, Alabama and Georgia, okay, you know, you're probably not making the SEC title game with that, even though you've got a pretty fun dynamic offense. You know, Georgia, they're able to kind of shut them down for just 17 points. Alabama held them to just 10 points earlier this year. So uh, another tough loss for Ole Miss. But Georgia, I think... I think that, you know, there was some criticism. Oh, is Georgia as good? They've obviously lost a lot. Uh, you know, they're still 10 and 0 at the end of the day. They we just have such a high standard for what Georgia has done being back to back champions. Uh, Carson Beck, again, you know, continues to play pretty good in his first year starting for Georgia. So they move up back up to number one in the polls. They jump Ohio State, who dominated themselves uh, at home against Michigan State. But a top 10 win for Georgia. And we kind of just continue to keep waiting for that pivotal uh, SEC championship matchup, which we project to be Georgia and Alabama. Always a fun time when those two teams get together. But dominant win for Georgia in this one. They get it done against Ole Miss, 52-17. to yeah, You know, RK, I just want to mention, they came in the game as 11-point favorites considering the Brock Bowers uh, injury issues. Um, we didn't know whether he was going to be 100%. He wasn't 100%. It didn't, didn't look like he was anywhere near 100%, but he played, um, did fine, great game. But, man, like anybody questioning Georgia at this point after wins against Kentucky, Florida, uh, Ole Miss, dom they've dominated pretty much everybody they've played. Obviously, they played a close game against Auburn early in the year. That's the only game that's been within a score this year for them, um, which is crazy to think about. Like, you can't question Georgia. Stop questioning Georgia. The fact that they weren't number one the entire season is, like, uh, disgusting almost. Like, they've done nothing wrong. It's, a, it's an incredible football team. Every year, you know, we're getting a, a college football playoff, college football champion-esque team out of Georgia which is crazy to me that they keep the sustained success yeah, no doubt. And and I think that they probably match up well against Alabama, even though Alabama has been rolling more, um, you know, as we still have the factor of Jalen Milrow can't really throw the ball all that well. So they've been getting by with him running the football. But I think a potential SEC championship game, I definitely think Georgia would be the favorite, uh, obviously the much higher seed and, and unbeaten so far this year. So, uh, yeah, there is maybe a little bit of time this season where we're like, oh, Georgia, are they the same team? But certainly looks like so far, you know, there's pretty good chance that um, they could end up winning it all at the when it's all set and done too so um that is that out of the sec and then last game for us to hit on washington and utah a big one in the pac-12 feels like every week we've had a big one in the pac-12 and uh we did see one uh that took place between those two teams washington and utah in the first half it looked like this one was going to be a high scoring barn burner we've seen washington in a handful of these games against usc earlier this year oregon was a high scoring game but second half the defenses really kind of took over uh and washington was able to hold on to a seven point win uh looked like they were going to get a pick 
pick six uh, in this game. They dropped the ball at the one yard line, end up getting a safety right after it. So uh, really just kind of shut down that Utah offense in the second half, which if there was kind of a knock on Washington, we know that they've got this dynamic offense, but you kind of wondered, you know, oh, is this defense good enough to kind of hang? And they really showed up big time in the second half against Utah uh, to continue and preserve their undefeated season. Uh, Washington's going to need every bit they can get in order to creep into that college football playoff. They're going to need some help too, but um, they're going to need to stay undefeated and win the Pac-12 when it's all said and done if they want to have a chance in the college football playoff. But they've definitely been fun to watch. A lot of dynamic playmakers on that offense, not only just Michael Penix, but Odunze at wide receiver, Dylan Johnson at running back, Polk, uh, another receiver that's been really good for Washington. So um, they've definitely put up some fireworks offensively this season and and been, you know, probably a a pretty nice surprise. I don't think many people would have predicted that Washington would have been undefeated at this point in time. They continue to keep rolling with another impressive win in the Pac-12 over Utah. Yeah, you know, obviously, I think people came into this game expecting Washington to kind of walk on Utah. And I I will give credit once again to Eric Jensen's football team, uh, even after a bad loss to Oregon a couple of weeks ago. The Utah team, they battle uh, most of the time. They play pretty close games. We saw them beat USC in a very, very close, um, what I would have called a stunner a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so props to them. But yeah, I mean, anybody that, that isn't considering Washington as a, a college football playoff team, but is considering like an Oregon as a college football playoff team, because there's a lot of people out there that think Oregon is better than Washington and would fit better on the, the national scale. Like, slow your roll a little bit. I think Washington's like getting totally disrespected, um, always left out of, of every conversation, it feels like. Um, whereas a team like Florida State, for example, gets a lot of respect. Like, where's the... Where is the comparison there? Why is Florida State getting all this respect and all this love, but teams like Washington, even Oregon, are not like the ACC sucks. Let's be honest here. The ACC is really bad. The pack has been surprisingly good this year, even with teams like USC falling off. Why are we sleeping on on the pack at this point? I get there. I get they're going to be gone after this year, but let's respect them while they're here. Yeah, no doubt, and and we said it how the Pac-12 has been pretty good this year. Washington, obviously, marquee win at home over Oregon this year. Um, they beat USC, they beat Utah these last two weeks. They got another one at Oregon State, who um, they're kind of surprisingly ranked 11th at this point in time themselves. So uh, if Washington can, you know, win these last two games, win the Pac-12 tournament uh, or tournament uh, championship game, um, you know, they're going to be a tough team to kind of hold out. Um, but like I said, they may need some help a little bit too. We know one of Ohio State or Michigan will lose this season, so that may be the way. And- and path in for Washington uh, and getting a Pac-12 team uh, in the tournament. But um, like I said, they got at Oregon State this week. Um, they'll need to continue, continue to keep winning uh, to you know continue to keep their status uh, as a potential college football playoff team. Uh, other than that, let's just kind of preview quickly what we'll see uh, this upcoming week. Outside of that, we got Georgia and Tennessee. You know, we just talked about Georgia. You know, Tennessee is ranked, but I don't think we're expecting any kind of upset on the side of Tennessee in that one. But uh, it's kind of the SEC pushover week, uh, as we like to call it they're they're playing all these non-conference joke of teams that they should have played back in week two but the sec gets all excited and gets in the conference play in week two so here we are at the end of the year second to last week uh and we got alabama playing chattanooga on the schedule and it's even interesting florida state's getting in on the party playing north alabama this year the acc is like yeah you know what go ahead florida state just take your cupcake win here late in the year that's fine with us but i know you're not a huge fan of this strategy donnie but in the sec it just means more so that's what they're gonna do alabama's playing chattanooga on saturday Saturday. I mean, what are your thoughts here? I think it just comes to a point like, even if you're you're an Al- if you're an Alabama or you're a Florida State, like having these games on the schedule at this point, especially Alabama, who really needs to be beating good teams and not beating Chattanooga, like it's 
it, it, it's got to be you got to be looking back at whenever they schedule these games years ago and thinking, oh, like we we really we screwed the pooch. We fucked it here. Um, maybe that was an Alabama being too cocky and thinking, OK, we'll be undefeated and then we'll, we'll clap Chattanooga. You know, we never lose games, yada, yada, yada. At this point, Alabama is definitely on the outside looking in and it, it's going to take a lot for them. Like that, I think that you could say Alabama would much rather be playing any ranked opponent, whether it's a, a Tulane or anybody like they this is really bad it's just a bad optics in my eyes at least it's bad optics for alabama and florida state to be playing these like pushover bummy schools like i don't want to watch miami play bethune cookman week two i don't want to watch florida state play north alabama week 12 like what are we doing yeah it's very fair like the reason we do this non-conference early in the season is because hey the big 10 is normal they're playing conference teams late in the year the big 12 they're playing conference teams late in the year. The Pac-12, they're playing conference games late in the year. Like, SEC, what are you guys doing? Come on. Like, we don't need to be seeing these blowouts this late in the year. You know, we, we could probably get this out of the way earlier in the year. Or at least just take a bye. I don't know. Like, we don't even need to be playing these games <laughs> at this point in time. Uh, there's just no need. And it's been going on forever. So that's the SEC, and that's what we're going to get on Saturday. But like I said, we're just kind of waiting for some of these marquee games to start picking up uh, back again in, in a few weeks once we get into some conference championship games. Uh, and and that Michigan-Ohio State game will obviously be a big one uh, the following week uh, as well. All right, that's our recap of, uh, of football from the past weekend. It was a lot of fun to follow. As I said, a lot of close games in the NFL. So I'm um, definitely glad that we were able to get over those. But let's get into some of our questions for this podcast. We've got a handful of different question askers uh, for this episode. And let's start with our friend Connor, who's got a thought on college football on the topic. And he says, how do you project? the elite non-Caleb Williams college quarterbacks like Michael Penix, Drake May, and Bo Nix at the next level? I think this is a great question. It's always a fun discussion. Uh, it's one we've had on the podcast at numerous points uh, during the season, and uh, we love the NFL draft, especially breaking down these quarterbacks um, You know that will be entering the NFL next season. So let's start breaking these guys down. Let's start with Michael Penix, the Washington quarterback who has led Washington to an undefeated season so far this year, has been very productive, 28 to 7 touchdown to interception ratio for him. I think the interesting thing for me with Michael Penix, you know, he's dealt with a ton of injuries, started his career at Indiana, has dealt with multiple torn ACLs on the same knee, multiple shoulder injuries. So I think his, uh, you know, productivity has changed a little bit. We don't see him as much, uh, you know, running, scrambling, uh, and, and making as much plays, you know, kind of behind the line of scrimmage he did have a nice play doing that against USC a few weeks ago but uh, I think that that could be an element of his game that could be missing uh, you know projecting him to the next level you know you want those guys who are able to use their mobility extend plays for me I feel like Penix is a little bit more of the end of that rhythm pocket passer and while he's incredibly accurate and has great arm strength can work the ball down the field you know this Washington offense is absolutely loaded right now he's got playmakers left and right you know he can just kind of throw up those one-on-one -on -one balls to Odunze and it's working fine in the Pac-12 this year but but that's, I guess, where I have a little bit of concern with Penix going to the next level. I still really like him as a prospect. I think he's an NFL starting quarterback. I think he has a very, very good chance to go in the first round. But uh, the long-term value, like I said, you know, a big injury history, and we've seen a little bit decreased mobility. So not like he has taken a ton of sacks this year, but um, you just kind of question, you know, yeah, there's teams that want that rhythm pocket passer, but you also kind of want some of that, you know, make, make magic situations, uh, you know, making plays happen when they break down in structures. So maybe that's just one part of Penix's game that I'd like to see him improve a little bit on. But like I said, I still think that this is a really strong quarterback prospect, you know, with I potentially go in the first round. Any impressions from you on Penix, Donnie? 
Yeah, it's interesting to me because I, I look at it as more of like a literal sense. Like this guy has been, this is his college football year number six. Um, He is the same age as guys that have been in the NFL doing it for a couple of years already, like a Trevor Lawrence, for example. They are the same age. They will both be 24 in the next NFL season, uh, which is really interesting to, to just monitor, to think about, given the fact that Trevor Lawrence has been doing it for a couple of years now. Uh, you can also say like guys like Zach Wilson are in the same the same boat. They've been in the league for a couple of years, uh, starting playing NFL games, whereas Michael Penix has been kind of just sitting there, um, you know, tearing apart. Uh, lesser mediocre pack defenses I do think so the talent is is so easy to see but I, I always have a little bit of reservation on the older college quarterbacks guys that st- stay around for a while like there's a reason you're still around in college football let's be honest here even if you are having a breakout year year six uh, you'd much rather be in the NFL making millions of dollars where I mean I guess in NIL money Michael Penix is doing just fine right now but the guaranteed uh, first rounder rookie contract of Michael Penix uh, in the NFL will be much more lucrative and much more exciting to see um, and there's definitely reservations there on a guy that it, it takes you four or five years even with the injuries to finally get yourself into a first round stock like there's definitely gonna be questions of, of a Penix versus a Drake May Bo Nix guys like that there's definitely gonna be if he goes above a Drake May, I'd be really surprised to see that. And I definitely think there's potential for that as well. Yeah, I, I think you see, you know, kind of that flash, that potential, the big arm strength. But, um, you know, we've also seen games from him this year, like he had against Arizona State, where, you know, a couple picks um, didn't throw any touchdowns in this game, you know, didn't offer them a ton of value uh, in terms of his mobility. So, um, you know, you kind of question some of those things going to the next level. But like I said, I think there's still a lot to like out of Penix and, and certainly projects as a first round pick. And I think all these guys that you mentioned, Penix, May and Knicks, um, you know, all have strong potential to go in the first round after Caleb Williams. I think this is a deeper quarterback class than we had in the last few um which have been you know maybe a little kind of lackluster but uh let's move on to drake may north carolina quarterback you know donnie we, we've talked about acc quarterbacks having kind of mixed results in the nfl at, at different points in time but i think drake may I think he has a low, uh, a low ceiling, but a high floor. I think that this guy's been pretty consistent during his time at North Carolina these last two years. Um, you kind of know what you're going to get out of him. You know, he's going to be able to kind of manufacture some of these drives, be a pretty accurate passer, does take a little bit of sacks, but at the same time gives you a little bit more upside in terms of his mobility, he does have eight rushing touchdowns this year. So you like that he has that kind of ability to extend some plays and make some things happen. You know, he has good arm strength. You'll see him, you know, dropping the deep ball once in a while. That's probably an area you'd like to see a little bit more consistent out of his game but like I said I think this guy can certainly project in as an NFL starting quarterback um, at this point in time but um, I kind of question if this guy is a elite you know top of the line um, you know first top five bona fide lock superstar player you know maybe that's where I'm not necessarily as sold on Drake May but I think like I said I mean I think there's still a lot to like that he can be a consistent player um, over the course of time and, and certainly an NFL starter. Yeah it's really interesting to me to see uh, obviously where he's being projected. I don't think Drake May is bad. I think Drake May is, is going to be a very talented NFL quarterback, but the fact that he's being projected to go top two or top three to a team like the Giants or the Patriots, like you put Drake May on the Patriots. Is he successful? Is there any success there? Obviously, like there's a real question mark in terms of the teams that he could potentially end up on. I think the best case scenario for Drake May would be slipping a little bit. Let's say Drake May ended up dropping to like, I don't know, let's say the Jets picked him in at 10 or 11 or 12 or something like that. He sits behind Aaron Rodgers. They give up on Zach Wilson. Like A much better situation would be for him to not go in the top five. Um, I don't think that that happens given the fact that quarterbacks are so highly sought after, and obviously somebody will trade up to get him if he is slipping. Uh, but man, like the situations for any of these quarterbacks, even Caleb Williams as an example, like 
I wouldn't want to step in as the Giants quarterback. I wouldn't want to step in as the the Bears quarterback or the Patriots quarterback. Like there is really bad situations for these guys that could potentially, I don't know, stunt growth or even kill a guy's potential to be a, a productive 10, 15 year NFL starter. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you uh, on that with May. Um, and then let's hit on Bo Nix, the last of the quarterbacks mentioned by Connor. And I think one thing about Bo Nix is you can't deny that this guy has gotten better every year he has been in college, you know, started at Auburn. And, uh, you know, maybe we weren't necessarily sold that this guy would ever make uh, the NFL and really had a big problem when it comes to taking sacks. You know, his second year at Auburn took 21 sacks as the starter that year, had a season ending injury at Auburn. There's a lot of kind of turmoil transfers to Oregon and that has been, worked wonders in terms of his development as a quarterback. And I think he just continues to take strides as a passer. You know, he offers you a little bit of mobility. He offers you an ability to extend plays uh, and, and make some things happen outside of structure. Uh, and this year has really limited the sacks and interceptions, only two interceptions and four sacks taken uh, this entire season so far. So I think that he's been a really accurate passer. He does have some good playmakers around him at Oregon, obviously. But I think that Bo Nix has shown that uh, he has the ability to kind of step in and, and run an NFL offense and has the upside um, that he can be relied upon to you know take on that role and, and be you know a high first round pick which uh, a few years ago is not something I would have expected but we've continued to see him take strides as a passer and even this year I think he relied on his rushing ability a little bit more last season than he has so far this year but it's worked wonders in terms of his you know development um, you know as a pocket passer that's what teams are going to be looking for in the NFL okay can you get off your first read uh, when things break down and, and still make something happen and I think we've seen that out of Bo Nix this year so I'm definitely a lot more optimistic you know watching the more recent film with Bo Nix and I think that that trait of him continuing to get better is something that's going to help him out you know maybe a, a comparison you could throw out there would be a guy like Jalen Hurts who certainly had his deficiencies in college early on uh, in terms of reading defenses and he was relying a lot on his legs but uh, transferred to Oklahoma his last year and then has you know obviously worked into one of the better NFL quarterbacks so maybe that's kind of a comparison I see with Bo Nix uh, in terms of a potential NFL future for him but I definitely like what I've seen out of him this year he continues to get better for me. Yeah, I like the comp a lot, actually. I think the biggest thing that you see out of Bo Nix, I've watched a lot of Oregon football the last couple of years for no reason, really, just other than to watch Bo Nix. Obviously, they have some really, really nice weapons. Troy Franklin, Tez Johnson have been really helpful. And obviously, Bucky Irving is nasty, nasty there. But it's really interesting to see Bo Nix, especially in short yardage situations or on the goal line, his vision and Jalen Hurts' vision to uh, find the yard, find the two yards with or without the tush push, obviously, because um, you know, that's a little bit different uh, in what Philly does. But uh, Bo Nix is really good at finding the yard or two that they need. Uh, you see it time and time again. They get to third and one. Uh, it's either a Bucky Irving handoff, which is almost a guarantee, or Bo Nix doesn't himself get three, four yards, calls it a day. Um, really just maybe an, an undersold aspect of the NFL quarterback, the, the current NFL quarterback. If you don't have the ability to pick up a couple of yards on the ground, your game is severely, severely hampered. It just it's It's a reality of the situation is, it's like a mobile quarterback's league at this point. So uh, it would be really interesting to see where Bo Nix goes. Obviously, there are four or five quarterbacks in this draft that are going to get a serious amount of respect, uh, love. We even, you know, if you want to throw in J.J. McCarthy, because it seems like he's getting a little bit of respect as like a maybe a high second, low first round or two. Um, there's, a, there's a large chance that one of these guys or two of these guys ends up busting. But Bo Nix, again, going to be 24 next year going to have all the experience in the world out there, uh, which will be very helpful. I think I would be, I'd be very surprised if we didn't see Bo Nix as a starting quarterback year one in the NFL, uh, whether it's a team taking him high in the first round or middle of the first round, or maybe he drops a little bit, but it seems like he slots in as like a, 
perfect situation for a team that's just a quarterback away from contending. Like even if he ended up on the Jets, something along those lines, uh, sitting behind Aaron Rodgers for a year, there's a lot of situations that would do him really well. Just if he ended up dropping out of the top 10, uh, it would be super, super helpful for a guy like Bo Nix, I feel like. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and and I think that, you know, usually there's a higher demand for quarterbacks than there is a supply. But I feel like this is a, a pretty deep quarterback class with with all these guys. And obviously, Caleb Williams, you know, teams like the Giants, the Patriots, uh, the L.A. Rams, the Titans, the Falcons, uh, Washington, like are all these teams, would they consider moving on and, and taking quarterbacks um, just because, you know, there could be a, a long term starter out there um, that, you know, could help you out then, you know, teams like Tennessee, who, yeah, they took Will Levis in Atlanta. Yeah, they took Desmond. Ritter but if you have an opportunity to take a guy in the first round that you can be a little bit more confident in um, you know to be your starter for the next five ten years uh, you know that may be a worthwhile option if a guy like Drake May or Bo Nix or Michael Penix is out there uh, and available for them so uh, definitely a really good question from Connor one of the more fun topics we get to talk about on the podcast always love breaking down the quarterback prospects entering the NFL so good timing for that question and obviously it's something we'll hit on uh, in the many months leading to April's draft uh, as we always do on the podcast all right Let's move on to our next question asker, our friend Eric Jensen at Eric18Utah, always a regular question asker on the show, host of the End Zone Pod as well. We'll give him that shout. A couple of questions from Eric for this week's podcast. Let's start with one of the football questions. Is Texas A&M a desirable job? Uh, They've made the change uh, there at head coach saying, Jimbo Fisher, see you later. We're going to take on the millions of dollars you owe, and we're going to move on from you. Um, But uh, what are your thoughts on how desirable a job Texas A&M offers uh, in the SEC, Donnie? Yeah, it's interesting because I would have said initially probably not. I mean, obviously in the SEC West, your teams like Alabama, uh, LSU, even Ole Miss are consistently going to be just a little bit better than you probably when it comes to recruiting, uh, when it comes to just an overall functionality as a football team. Uh, but ESPN's like calling like really high high level coaching candidates for this one, like a Dabo Sweeney link. Uh, which would be really interesting. Obviously, you don't. I don't think that would ever happen. Uh, but the situation is always there. I wouldn't call it undesirable uh, because coaching in the SEC, obviously, you get a lot of eyes on you. If you ever wanted to go to the NFL, getting out of the SEC to go into the NFL would probably be the best way to do it if you're trying to do the college to NFL route. But Texas A&M has been like very irrelevant, like surprisingly irrelevant, almost to the point where like. 10 years ago, Texas A&M was like always a little bit of a power. They had fun players. They had talented pieces, uh, quarterbacks, especially. You would always see some guys going out there doing some magic stuff. Now at this point, like they're just bad. Like it's, it's mediocre football. They don't really ever put anything together. And it really doesn't feel like they have super high level talent either, which in Texas, you expect A&M to compete with the Texases and the Alabamas of the world for all these top recruits. But you look at their recruiting numbers and their stats in the, in the rivals rankings, and they're like not in the top 20. Like you're in Texas, dude. You're a premier program in the state where like football is, is just different. Football matters more. Like what, there's there's a real disconnect there that that might be more linked to program than coaching at this point. It's, it's obviously very, very speculative. But uh, just my thought process, given the lack of success they've had. And I mean, like Jimbo Fisher, like a well-known coach, very well respected. If he can't recruit. Can anybody recruit? Like it's a it's a legitimate question. 
Yeah, it's a it's a very fair point. You know, you should be able to fill a you know you got a hundred thousand people there at Kyle Field. You should be able to get some kids that are fired up about that and uh, turn it into some success. But stuff in the SEC when you got to get through Alabama, you know, a team that they have beaten in certain spots, but um, don't have the consistency. You know, they're not competing for SEC titles or anything at this point in time. So um, that's obviously an uphill battle they'll need to take on. But I think that you know the right coach could turn it around for that program. But um, you know, I think that there's still a lot of things that you know are are left to be desired uh for them um with texas a&m there all right let's move on uh eric's got a couple of hockey questions for us as well we'll we'll get in some nhl thoughts on this podcast here at this point donnie uh his first question for us is are the anaheim ducks and vancouver canucks for real two of the surprise teams so far in the western conference i think i want to start with the canucks though uh i think they've been you know a little bit more positive uh than what we've seen from the ducks at least relative to their expectations uh what do you think about the canucks are they for real i guess in terms of do you think they can qualify for the stanley cup playoffs when it's all said and done Yes, I definitely think so. I've been very surprised. I think if you would look, listen back to our, our preview, uh, we were not super bullish on the, the Vancouver Canucks in their chances to win the Stanley Cup. And I think that's probably still the same situation. Um, I'm not pinning the Vancouver Canucks in as a, a cup contender, but in the Pacific, uh, we've talked about this multiple times over the last couple of years. The Pacific remains a very mediocre division outside of the, the Vegas Golden Knights. Obviously, teams like the Kings always there. Edmonton has been really, really bad this year. So that opens up another door potentially for Vancouver uh, to step in. Obviously, up 14 points on Edmonton already. Like, I, I think you could, the, the, the large chance uh, Vancouver is going to end up above Edmonton this year. So it's all about them fighting teams like the Kings and the Kraken and the Flames and the Ducks. But to have that lead, that starting lead, we saw it last year with a team like the Devils, who started off incredibly well. Um, all they had to do is play five in hockey the rest of the year, and they were fine. They were in the playoffs. Everything was good. The Canucks are in the same boat. And, I mean, you can't really talk about the Canucks without mentioning Elias Pettersson's leading the league in points, RK. Elias Pettersson is the top point getter in the league. Uh, JT Miller and Quinn Hughes, two points behind at 23 and 15 games. Like, we're seeing a, a Rick Tockett-led team that is – they look really dangerous out there, and obviously it, it's easy to look at the guys like Pedersen, but Thatcher Demko's got a 9.35 this year. Like, he started off the year impeccably well. We know him as one of the probably tier two goaltenders in the league uh, outside of the elite conversation. Like, it seems like in a week Pacific, the Vancouver Canucks could very easily make the playoffs, uh, if not in a, in a Pacific spot, in the wild card at the very least. Yeah, I, I think I give them more of a shot uh, early on after seeing the massive struggles we've seen out of the Alberta teams with Calgary and Edmonton and even Seattle has looked really slow. I think I'm more optimistic and, and open to the fact that, yeah, we could see Vancouver in, you know, maybe one of those three spots uh, in the Pacific, let alone a wild card spot. But I think for me, like, yeah, you said it, Patterson has really kind of carried. JT Miller has been really good in that second center role, you know, kind of living up to that contract so far. Brock Besser early on, you know, 12 goals. He's looked really impressive and uh, he's been seemingly in trade rumors uh the last couple of years with Vancouver so uh for him to come off really good and then that top D pair as well with Hughes and Heronic obviously they got Heronic last year at the deadline you know he's been pretty solid for them starting off and Demko so you look at kind of the top end top two centers top D pair goalie it's really good but after that I'm just still not sold on the depth that Vancouver has I think that was kind of the reservation we had coming into the year so uh they're going to need those top dogs to keep carrying them for an entire year and uh maybe I'm just not fully sold that that'll end up happening good enough to maybe make the playoffs 
loss, like I said, because of some other teams faltering, but not necessarily sold that Vancouver is completely for real, uh, just given that I don't think they have a ton of depth um, that can carry them through an 82-game season. Uh, let's hit on the Anaheim Ducks as well. Uh, so far this season, you know, they rank fourth in the Pacific Division. Uh, we didn't have huge expectations for them because they couldn't keep the puck out of their own net at all last year, but they've gotten off to a somewhat decent start so far this year. What are your thoughts on what we've seen from Anaheim so far? Yeah, I think I'm more reserved on Anaheim's for realness because uh, we saw Trevor Zegers placed on the injured reserve. He's going to be out for a couple weeks. That's a huge loss. He's been very mediocre to start off the year, but still taking him out of the lineup means you're putting in probably a, a an underwhelming AHL player or a, a mediocre at best uh, NHL fourth liner filling a, a higher role there. Um, and I also don't I don't anticipate we're going to see Frank Vetrano scoring 40, 45, 50 goals this year, which is the pace that he's on. He's got 11 goals in 15 games. Probably not going to happen. You know, obviously, Frank Vetrano having a great start to the year. Uh, Mason McTavish been really well playing really well as well. Um, but the, the duo of Gibson and Dostal with a 927 and 910 respectively in goal with that decor that we've talked about, um, even with the resurgence or I guess the surgence of Pavel Mitnikov, uh, among other guys like Radko Gudis, who had a really big game last night for them. Um, I, I don't know if the defense is there yet. I'm, I would assume that John Gibson's 927 ends up more like a 907 or 910, somewhere in that range in the year. Um, can they sneak into a wild card spot? Maybe. I don't I don't know what's going on in the West, honestly. Like, the West has been very, very underwhelming and mediocre and, like, like I, I think you can say bad. The West is, once again, it's a very, very, it, it's a mismatch of just, mediocrity um but i i definitely i'm higher on vancouver for sure anaheim maybe the eight seed is is a realistic potential end of the year given the fact that as you mentioned before alberta really having a tough time seattle really having a tough time even in the other other division uh, minnesota and nashville really really bad this year so maybe anaheim sneaks in as like a young under uh, underperforming team that maybe um overwhelms their expectations uh as somebody that you know, I, I personally would be very surprised if Anaheim made the playoffs, but definitely would say Vancouver is is not a lock, but very, very good position to make the playoffs. Anaheim, they're going to really have to they're going to play like this the rest of the year. And I, I think, RK, you probably agree with me. Probably not going to happen. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a similar you know situation in terms of I'm, I'm still just not super sold on the depth that we have, especially on that back end for Anaheim, like you said. But I think long term, it's obviously encouraging, you know, Mason McTavish, Leo Carlson, Pavel Mitnikov, you know, your recent high first round picks, you know, those guys are looking really good. So I think in the next few years, we're going to start to see Anaheim really turn it around and maybe be one of those kind of regular teams that's in those top three spots for the Pacific. But I just don't think we're at that point, you know, just yet in 2023 um, for the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, you said if a Tron has looked really good. Ryan Strom uh, has gotten a lot of assists so far this year. Troy Terry, you know, we know that he's pretty good as well. So there's some pieces in place that maybe they will end up competing for the wild card, which is kind of what the spot they're in is now. But I think they're still just a little bit too young to kind of really bank on them keeping it up for, for the full season. And uh, I think we expect a little bit of a pushback out of some of those bottom teams in the Pacific outside of the San Jose Sharks, I guess. But um, I think that, you know, there's still a long way to go before I'm ready to say that the Ducks are completely for real. But um, like a lot of the young talent and what we've seen so far. Uh, Mitnikov's been one of the fun young stars in the NHL this year, uh, in my opinion. So uh, good question, though, from Eric. Good early observation out of uh, out of hockey in the, in the Pacific. Uh, and then last question Eric has for us uh, for this podcast. Where does Nikita Kucherov rank in the NHL superstar hierarchy? Obviously a good question. Regularly one of the better players in the NHL. But Donnie, where do you have Kucherov ranked uh, in terms of all these superstars in the NHL? 
Yeah, I think I'm putting him at the bottom of the top 10. I would assume that most people would agree with that. Like guys like McDavid, McKinnon, uh, even like Pasternak, Dreisaitl. I think you can rationalize that these guys are a little bit stronger of uh, production players in the NHL. Kucherov is known for his one-timer, power play one-timer, has really benefited from the ability to just sit there at the right circle, wind up and unload one-timers. But outside of that, um, I think you'd probably rationalize having the centers like a McDavid or a Dreisaitl or a McKinnon, guys that can take face-offs, play a little bit of defensive help uh, above him. And also um, like Kale McCarr, Adam Fox, guys like that may be slightly more valuable. But I, I don't think that there's any any arguing, any denying that Nikita Kucherov is still an elite, superstar, talented player. Um, you can't put him outside of the top 10. I would still have him above guys like Miko Ranton and Kirill Kreisov. They're all in that simple that, that similar range. But man, like, he doesn't slow down. It just always seems like Nikita Kucherov is going to score goals. There's never droughts. There's never struggles. Uh, it's really surprising and impressive to see, even with the fact that he's been able to produce with guys like Stamkos missing games over time, uh, Hedman missing games over time. He's always a consistent performer um, when he's in the lineup. I can't put him anywhere below the top 10. And I think that maybe that's even like a little bit disrespectful, um, which is crazy to say because a top 10 player is like, it's pretty fucking good. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I I think just you know, like you said, the fact that he plays on wing. Okay, there's going to be some guys a little bit ahead of him. Uh, you even factor in like a Kale McCarr playing on defense. Yeah, I'd probably take Kale McCarr a little bit ahead of Nikita Kucherov at this point in time. But uh, when you rank him up against some of the other top wingers, you mentioned Pasternak. I'd probably have him just above uh, you know, a guy like Kucherov, but very much in that similar you know kind of tier range to guys like Artemi Panarin or William Nylander. Uh, you know, uh, Kyle Connor. I think are a couple other guys that I'd probably have just below Kucherov. I, I think he's kind of right in that range. I think top 10 overall is, is probably pretty fair uh, for where he's at without, you know, disrespecting guys like Dreisaitl and Matthews. And uh, even Sidney Crosby has been really good, even though the Penguins have had their ups and downs so far this year. So um, no disrespect to Kucherov, but I think just positional value and in terms of where he's able to impact the game in the defensive zone, you know, maybe not as much as some of these other well-rounded players that, that are out there uh, in the NHL. Uh, and then the last thing for Eric, this is going to be a quick answer for both of us, Donnie. Are the Broncos making the playoffs? No. Yeah, no, they're not. If, in case you forgot, Eric, there's, there's 16 teams in the AFC and the Broncos rank 14th. So, yeah, uh, just because you're excited that they beat, you know, the the Chiefs and the Bills on the road. It, it was, hopefully it was a fun two weeks because you're not getting football in January or February this year for the Broncos. Uh, I think you knew that answer already, though, Eric. Yeah, I know. I just want to say, I, I think his tone will change very quickly when Josh Dobbs throws for 350 and, and four TDs against him on Sunday this week. Everything is going to go back to, oh, I'm sad about the Broncos. This team stinks. But for now, hey, Eric, we're happy for you. You didn't deserve the victory. You you very much like should have lost the game against Buffalo. But the fact that they won, you know, it, it's great for the Giants. Obviously, don't have to worry about the Broncos and, and the pick range. I'm happy about that. So, hey, go Broncos, man. You're not making the playoffs. You might win seven, eight games. but just shut up with the playoff talk, Eric. It's not happening. Yeah, you, you just asked about Texas A&M. Well, the 12th man really traveled. It's, it's <laughs> contingent down to Buffalo for you. They really helped you out on Monday Night Football. So, yeah, enjoy your two weeks, but uh, we're not sure how long this will last for the next couple of roadie on the horns for you, Eric. But, uh, yeah, probably no playoffs for you, but, yeah, I think you knew that one uh, for that. But appreciate the questions from Eric. Definitely felt like those were good ones, uh, and, and we appreciate Eric always stopping by. Check out the End Zone Pod. It's football season. We had a lot of football talk in this one. Uh, you guys would like the content over there. Uh, our good friend Eric, he's had us on a bunch. Uh, and has been on this podcast a few times too. One of our very good friends. So appreciate Eric for stopping by as always. 
All right, let's move on. Next question asker for this podcast. This one comes from my dad, and he's really throwing us a curveball because he sent me a link about how Oreos are reducing the amount of filling in the Oreos. Like double stuffed is now the addition of like what was like regular stuff. So that's like a crime against humanity. But he's putting on a spin zone on us, Donnie. Did we ever feel in our lives that when we attended a sporting event, did we feel ripped off just like Oreo fans across the world are feeling ripped off about the amount of filling in Oreos? But we're pulling a sports turn on this one, Donnie. I'm going to let you share first. Have you ever attended a sporting event where you felt ripped off? What do you think? I would say probably no, but if there is ever an incident or anything that's ever happened that I do feel ripped off by, uh, I went to a Pirates-Cubs game on my birthday when I was in high school, and the Pirates were winning this game very handily. I believe they were up by five runs going to the eighth inning, um, and they are going to the seventh inning, and they managed to lose the game. A Mark Melanson disaster class. Uh, the Cubs came back top of the ninth, ended up winning the game. Um, obviously, Hector Rondon came in and closed in the bottom of the ninth. I was at this at this baseball game. I felt very ripped off just by the fact that, like, it's my birthday. I'm I'm rooting for the Pirates. You know, no no disrespect for the Cubs, obviously, uh, but I'm there in Pittsburgh to watch the Pirates win. And the fact that I was a three and a half hour game. Let me just just want to add in there a long baseball game where they blew it. I felt. Not only ripped off, I felt a little bit ashamed to be rooting for the Pirates at this time. And I think that definitely played into my thought process moving forward as not as much of a Pirates fan since then. I think it's gone downhill ever since I believe it was 2015. Um, it's been it's been tough sledding since then. And I don't think I don't think I even support the Pirates at all. Like even a little bit at this point. So I'm pinpointing that moment right now, uh, right there, as when I felt ripped off, disappointed, let down, um, underwhelmed, saddened by baseball and it's a pirates game so i mean like i should have been i should have been prepared for that sadness un- underwhelming letdown rk but uh, that that's my moment i'm sticking with that um screw the pirates screw bob nutting we, we we hate them it's just disappointing yeah that's a that's a good answer like i think just attending pnc park like you walk in there you're like oh my god beautiful ballpark great skyline well capped and you're like wow i'm probably gonna watch an elite baseball team and then you remember that they haven't won a series since 1979 in the playoffs and you're like oh yeah okay yeah this team's pretty bad so i could see how even though the tickets were probably like three dollars to get into PNC <laughs> literally park, you still feel like you were ripped off of three dollars because you had to watch the pirates play for free like stock like era a hot dog too like obviously you're getting food yeah. in the arena so, so like you're you're in the you spend in 30 40 dollars and then you get tickets it's probably like 70 80 bucks after parking and everything like you're definitely getting ripped off even if the pirates were to win the game i was getting ripped off all things considered so just keep yeah. that in mind that's a that's a good answer i got an easy answer for me on this one and it goes back to notre dame stadium but not for notre dame football it was the winter classic between the Chicago Blackhawks and the Boston Bruins a couple of years ago. And it ended up being kind of a heartbreaking loss. The Bruins scored late, ended up beating the Blackhawks. But it's not even the outcome of the game that I felt ripped off about. It was the fact that on New Year's Day for the Winter Classic for the NHL, they literally ran out of food and I'm pretty sure beverages too at the venue for Notre Dame football. And they literally ran out at like everything. I was like, yo, what are we doing right now? How How is this possible that you have all these people, big, one of the biggest events of the year in the NHL, and they literally ran out of food? And not to mention, Notre Dame Stadium is already completely overrated. It's not that great. Yeah, touchdown Jesus in the background, but like it, it's really overrated. Like the parking situation is always trash. There's always hella traffic. Getting there is a pain. It's just like, ah, it was just completely felt ripped off. And I'll never forget, like going down first intermission, you're like, oh, okay, I could use, you know, a little food, a little, a little 
beverage, something like that. Pick me up here, New Year's Day. Everyone in the in the crowd's like a little hungover from New Year's Eve still. And no, they had nothing available. And I was like, man, Notre Dame, come on, man. What are, what are we doing? Uh, so I'll always forever hold that grudge against Notre Dame Stadium for the Winter Classic uh, a couple of years ago. And not to mention, like I said, the Blackhawks lost a late finish. So I was like, oh. Gosh, what a what a tough day at the at the office at the rink uh, at the football field uh, for the Winter Classic at Notre Dame Stadium uh, a few years back. How do you run out of food at a stadium that regularly seats like what 70, 75,000 people yeah. like normally for football every single weekend? How did the fact that they manage that is like that's that's almost more surprising than the hockey game going on. Like how do you how does that ever happen at anywhere close like like figure it out that's that's actually i didn't know that story you i don't think you ever told me that or i don't remember but holy fuck that would be pardon my french that would piss me off to a point like i can't even get water i can't even i can't even get a hot dog dude like what's going on it was brutal i was there with uh with roth podcast listener captain scotty g he was my my eyewitness for this event and i'll never forget we had to stop at panda express on our drive back to finally load up on some food so i was like all right i got some orange chicken but it was like three hours later than when i wanted to actually eat food because the traffic situation was so bad and everything so yeah scotty g and i had to sit through that one in a blackhawks loss but on one hand the winter classic's cool it's a fun event to be at it's a cool thing to look back and say yeah i was at uh you know a hockey game where there was you know dozens of thousands of fans more than you would get in an arena but tough host tough host notre dame stadium i'll always hold that grudge on them yeah you know obviously they deserve it and then again uh, you have to remember you're also in indiana too when this is happening yeah. so like that's an even lower like like we, we've we've talked about iowa being a fake state indiana that's really low on the on the real state list let me tell you so just a, like a quadruple whammy for you that's wild yeah, tough one in uh, in South Bend uh, that day for for Blackhawks fans and people who just wanted to eat too. I'm sure Bruins fans were mad too. I can imagine. So uh, that was my easy answer for a time when I felt ripped off. But other than that, I've had pretty good experiences at sporting events. But that one definitely irks me until this day still. So I uh, got to share it on the pod. Appreciate that question from my dad. Uh, I feel pretty much as ripped off as Oreo fans still because of uh, of that outcome. So uh, good question there. But all right, we've reached the end of the podcast. We have a designated spot for my sister Kira and her boyfriend phil they've got a simple question they tend to have very simple questions they got a tier ranking question which gets us fired up on the roadie on the horn podcast we love our tier rankings and this is a good question tier ranking of hats both nani and i are fans of hats and i think this is a very appropriate question i think we are adapt to answer this question but donnie i'm gonna let you share first give me your tier ranking of hats yeah, so I went through a couple different uh, types. Obviously, hats are all hats. They they serve one purpose, and it's to sit on your head. Uh, the baseball cap is very easily like the S tier, top tier. Um, like it's just it's classic. Um, I wear a baseball hat every single day, pretty much. Not even for baseball teams most of the time. Currently wearing a Rangers hat. Um, obviously, RK is the only one that's going to see that. Um, but uh, the baseball hat, baseball cap is the only one that's an S tier for me. Um, in my A tier. I had the beanie, obviously a classic there. The beanie is a perfect, what I would call winter only hat. Um, it's got to be like sub 50, sub 40 degrees for you to need a beanie. Otherwise your head's going to be hot, but in, in the uh, suboptimal conditions of winter time, uh, the beanie is elite, uh, not S tier because you can't wear it year round. If you wear a beanie in the summer, you're going to have a bad time. Your head is going to be very, very hot. Uh, so I would definitely say that I also wanted to, mention throw in the fedora into this because if you're looking for a fancy hat rk the fedora feels like the the classic like i don't know maybe like a 90s 2000s 80s somewhere in that range 
uh, type deal. But the Fedora is a classic. You can see a Fedora in any possible TV show from the 80s or 90s. Somebody is wearing a Fedora hat in there. Not something that I would wear. Um, I don't have the head shape for a Fedora. I'm not sure how you feel about said Fedora, uh, but I'm pretty high on the Fedora as a hat in general. Um, I did want to mention, RK, I didn't go too deep into this, but I wanted to say uh, my bottom tier, the visors that have the open head, it's not a hat. There's no point for that. There's no reason to have a visor. You're only blocking your face, but there's still like the hat has to cover the head. I feel like the visor is just a piece of a piece of leather or something along those lines that they've just molded into this little shape to throw on your head as like a um, we were too lazy to put the, the top part on. So we're just going to give you this little outline of a hat and say, hey, figure it out. This is your thing. Um total L there. I also wanted to add in my final one, the, the beret. Um, I looked in the types of hats. The beret is just, it's not a hat. It's just like a piece of fabric that you put on your head and it just like droops either way, however you want it to. That's not a hat. It's just, it's just an accessory. It's, it's, it's something there. I didn't have anything else from there. Okay. I didn't have a bunch of other, uh, I don't, I don't know all the hat types. I didn't look that deeply into hat types, but um, I did want to mention an honorable mention because it's not something that I'm ever going to wear, but the sombrero, um, if I was putting the sombrero in a tier list, it's at the top. It's just funny. It's they've got, I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. It's just, a, it's just a laugher. It doesn't seem like it should be a thing because it's way too big for anybody to ever use it. Like it just, it's just really stupid. But the fact that sombreros exist and they're a big part of cultures. Um, hey, props to sombrero wearers. If you have the, you have the wherewithal to wear that sombrero happily and rock it in your, in your fit. Hey, power to you. That's my list, RK. I'm curious to hear about yours. I don't know how deeply you dug into the sombrero world, uh, but I, I want to hear it. Well, I mean, you just you just stirred up a whole little spiel here. So we're really giving Kieran and Phil a good answer here. I want to start with my personal top tier, and then we'll get into our dialogue about sombreros in just a minute here. I got to start. Baseball cap's a great answer. I go more specific. I go snapbacks. Big fan of the snapbacks. Very specific. I like a different color cap and a different color brim. That's my very specific preference I look for in a hat. If I go to a new baseball park or a new hockey rink or anything like that, I know within five seconds of looking at a hat if I'm going to buy it or if I'm not. That's exactly what I'm looking for. So I have a very specific criteria for my absolute top tier of hats. It's a snapback with a different color brim and a different color cap. So that's an easy top of the line. That's what we're going with. Just below that, you know, your regular baseball caps, like Donnie said, you know, you can have an adjustable back, whatever you want. Uh, you know, a baseball cap is a good answer here, as well as a beanie, uh, toque, whatever you want to call it. You know, the winter hats, those are pretty elite. You'll find me wearing those in the winter big time. Uh, and that's pretty much it in terms of my own personal hat wearing. But I have like a level of respect for other hats. Fedora, I don't know if it's making making it. You know, Tom Landry kind of set the tone for the fedora back in the day for the Cowboys. But, you know, I'm not a Cowboys guy, so I'm not sure if I'm there. You know, Beret, I'm not as much there as well. I have respect for the straw hat because sometimes like Nick Saban, you'll see him wearing it. And it's like, okay, wow, Nick Saban, good football coach. You see him wearing a straw hat, you know, and he's yelling at some, you know, third string wide receiver for running the wrong route. It's like, okay, this guy, he knows what he's talking about. I can, I can have some respect there. Uh, the uh sombrero we've reached the sombrero part i have worn a sombrero one time and i'll share the story because it's the end of the podcast and there's no other way for you to listen to this listen to listen all the way through or just tuned in for this question so i wore a sombrero one time it was actually my 20th birthday in iowa city but i had a fake id so it was really my 22nd birthday and everybody thought that i was allowed to be at this bar in iowa city called cactus where it's like a mexican restaurant and they give you a sombrero if it's your birthday and all my friends were like yeah no this guy's legit he's good to go and it was really my 20th birthday but i threw on the sombrero hat and we had a great time 
So shout out to the one-time sombrero wearer for my 20th birthday, which was, you know, celebrated like it was my 22nd. So I had, I really had two 22nd birthdays. It was, it was pretty great. So shout out to the sombrero as well. And then honorable mention for me is the bucket hat. I have respect for the bucket hat. I personally can't really pull it off, but if I see somebody else wearing a bucket hat, I'm like, you know, that looks good. I'm glad that you can wear it and have more confidence in doing that than I can. So there you go. Cowboy hat, not necessarily a huge fan. You know, it, it exists. I'll, I'll recognize that, but uh, I think it's a little bit lower, but um, yeah, that's kind of my rundown on hats, my history of hat wearing and the important note, the snapback with the different color cap, the different color brim. That's far and away the best kind of hat that exists out there on the market. Yeah, you know, RK loves his his color combinations and his block coloring. I definitely respect it, obviously, with hats. Uh, I had the cowboy hat on my honorable mention list, but it's not something I'm ever going to wear or anything I could ever pull off, so I didn't want to mention it. Um, I have respect for those. If you're actually a cowboy wearing a cowboy hat, it's like you're a kind of a baller, you're a gangster, you're a G for that. Like, I respect it. Me, personally, also with the bucket hats, I really can't pull off a bucket hat, RK, so I wasn't even going to mention it. Um, it just It's not something I've ever been able to figure out, um, like, Maybe it's just a head shape thing. Maybe it's just, I, I don't know what it is. But when bucket hats were in style, I would say like, it's got to be like 2013, 2014. The bucket hat was really popping off. Not something I ever considered. Not something I could ever figure out. Not something that I'll ever consider. Probably just, uh, I, I don't know what it was when the bucket hat craze was going off, RK. I don't know if you were a big bucket hat guy back in the day. I certainly, there, there is not a, not a will, not a world where I could wear a bucket hat and like actually look like a, like a respectable respectable human being it just uh it doesn't work for me yeah i i couldn't pull it off but like i said if other people are doing it i'm like hey that looks good i'm glad respect to the bucket hat game in the world yeah you know obviously i need uh i need kira and phil to give us specifics if we did miss anything however uh if you want us to rate specific hats please just let us know i'm glad to give you a a f to s tier rating on you you could send me pretty much anything and uh, into this podcast and RK and I will will rate it. So if you had any specifics that we missed, like a like a, a captain's hat or something from uh, uh not something I'm ever gonna wear, but like if you're on if you're on the ocean or whatever, if you want us to rate those things, if you want specifics, you get them to us. I guarantee you that we will get a rating out to you. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, good question though. Donnie and I were we're hat wearers, so we get you know some credibility in this answer. We've been asked questions where we've got very little knowledge, like the Snow White Dwarves. But hopefully, this was a little bit better answer on this one. Uh, Kieran, Phil, great question to wrap us up for the end of the podcast. Check West is coming on our podcast next episode. Of course, you guys already knew that because you're end of the podcast, folks. You've made it all the way through. You know the routine at this point. But with that, Donnie, I'll pass it over to you to wrap us up. Absolutely. We've had a nice hour, 15, hour, 20 podcast here, kind of sort of in the range where we've been most of the time for the past couple of months, which is good. Uh, obviously, next week, we will have some fun discussion on the NFL and college football. We should have some more NBA and NHL stuff to talk about as well. Obviously, the NBA has their in-season tournament, which neither RK or myself know what it it's for. <laughs> or still to this point. So um, NBA is a little bit more difficult for us to talk about, but NHL by next week, I think we can start talking obviously RK because Thanksgiving is coming up and we know the old adage, if you're in the playoff spot at Thanksgiving, you're making the NHL playoffs. So we will dive into that more, but we do appreciate everybody who did listen. And obviously some questions we got Eric back in the question askers list this week after a couple of weeks off, which is ideal. Uh, we really appreciate it. Just uh, our, our and I are very, very grateful for anybody that does listen. Uh, if you do listen this deep and you want to answer the Spotify question that I put on the Spotify page, please do. We get a couple of answers every week 
Um, really, really interesting stuff. So uh, I we appreciate that. But again, episode 176 has been a good one. RK, thank you for, for hosting, obviously. We don't give credit for hosting enough. Uh, so I want to shout out RK real quick for a, a fantastic, wonderful job hosting. Um, and we will talk to you again with episode 177 next week. I just hope everybody has a great week. You enjoyed listening to this. And as always, peace, everybody. Peace. Life couldn't get better.